My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Now that very same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking together about all that had happened. And it happened that as they were talking together and discussing it, Jesus himself came up and walked by their side but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So we can imagine the scene. Two men are walking, disappointed, sad, convinced that they're leaving behind them the bitterness of an event which ended badly. All the resurrection events are amazing, but one is especially unexpected. We might have expected our Lord to spend the day talking with the apostles. That's what he did before the crucifixion. But he made the apostles wait until evening. And in the meantime, he spent the afternoon with two men, Cleophas and his friend, who are not mentioned anywhere else in scripture. And that's why we're told on the very same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus. And our Lord walks with them on this road to Emmaus. Before Easter, these men had been full of enthusiasm. They were convinced that these days would be decisive. Their expectations met as well with the hopes of all the people. Everybody was thinking the same. Jesus, to whom they had entrusted their lives, seemed to have arrived at the final battle. He would now manifest his power after a long period of preparation and concealment. That's what they were expecting. But it was not to be. These two men were nurturing a uniquely human hope. And that hope was now falling to pieces. The cross that was raised on Calvary was the most eloquent sign of defeat and which they had not foreseen. They couldn't have imagined the defeat that was going to take place. And so largely going through their mind is the idea that if Jesus was truly in accordance with the heart of God, then they had to conclude that God was unarmed, defenseless in the hands of violent people, unable to offer any resistance to evil. And so these two men on that Sunday morning or that Sunday afternoon did the logical thing. They flee Jerusalem. 
But the events of the Passion and the death are still very much there in their hearts and in their minds. Their souls bear the painful torment of those events during the rest of the Sabbath. That Easter, which should have inspired a song of liberation, has instead been transformed into the most painful day of their lives. And so they leave Jerusalem to go to a tranquil village that is seven kilometers away. They look like people who are intent on removing a burning memory from their minds. And so they're on the road, walking in sadness. In this scenario, the road, has already appeared in many gospel narratives. We're told in many places as our Lord was walking along the road. So here we are again on this ordinary road. That road is becoming increasingly more important as the history of the church begins to unfold. And then our Lord comes. Jesus himself came up and walked by their side but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So many times in our life, we're also walking along the ordinary roads of each day, the roads of life that God has called us to walk along. And our Lord comes and walks beside us, but we don't recognize him. That meeting of those two men with our Lord appears to be completely by chance. Seems to be one of those chance meetings that happen in life. You bump into certain people. They're walking deep in thought and this stranger comes up alongside them. It's Christ, but their eyes are not able to recognize him. Our Lord is following the same pattern that he did with Mary Magdalene slowly revealing himself to them, little by little. He's not giving them a fright. He's not appearing by magic. No? He's letting them see and discover him little by little. So you could say that our Lord begins the therapy of hope, therapy for their discouragement, for their despair, for their sadness. What takes place on this particular road is that therapy of hope. And every day of our life, our Lord wants to inject our lives with hope so that we flee from discouragement or despair or sadness, allies of the enemy, instruments of the devil. And who is it that administers this therapy? Well, it's Christ himself. And what does he do? Well, he asks and he listens. He said to them, what are all these things that you were discussing as you walk along? He's going to draw things out from them, just like he did with Mary Magdalene. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom do you seek? And then one of them called Cleophas answered him, you must be the only person staying in Jerusalem 
who does not know the things that have been happening there these last few days. He seems to say to our Lord, well, where have you been? No? On what planet have you been living? No? You seem to know nothing of what's been going on. But our Lord says, what things? Our God is not an intrusive God. He doesn't blast his way into our lives. Even though our Lord knows the reason for the disappointment of these two men, he gives them time to deeply fathom the bitterness that has overcome them. And out of this, there's going to come a confession. There could be a refrain for the whole of human existence. We had hoped, but we had hoped. They answered all about Jesus of Nazareth, who showed himself a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and the whole people. And how our own chief priests and our leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and had him crucified. Our own hope had been that he would be the one to set Israel free. This was their hope. This is the yearning that we had. But they talk about a human hope. There may be many times when we find ourselves assailed by sadness, by defeats, by all the failures that there may have been in our life. And so deep down, we're a little bit like those two men on the road to a mouse. We have our own hopes. And that is not all. Two whole days have now gone by since it all happened. And some women from our group have astounded us. They went to the tomb in the early morning. And when they could not find the body, they came back to tell us that they had seen a vision of angels who declared that he was alive. That little piece of news from those women hasn't really raised their spirits. There may be many times when we felt that we were one step away from happiness, only to find ourselves knocked to the ground, disappointed. But our Lord walks with all people who are discouraged, who are low in spirit, who may be suffering from a passing or a chronic depression who walk with their heads hung low. When he walks with them in a discreet manner, he's able to restore hope. It's interesting to see how researchers and physicians and the things they say on the internet about the treatment of acute or chronic depression, how important the spiritual element is. Only Christ can restore our hope. And so Jesus speaks to them and he speaks to them above all through the scriptures. Some of our friends, they said, went to the tomb and found exactly everything exactly as the women had reported. But of him they saw nothing. Whatever little bit of human hope there might have been, as they tell the story, they seem to come back to the fact that all is lost. And then he said to them, you foolish men, so slow to believe all that the prophets have said. They were slow to believe the scriptures. 
And so our Lord speaks to them about the book, the book of life. Those who take up God's book will not encounter an easy heroism or fierce campaigns of, of conquest. True hope never comes cheaply. It always undergoes defeat. Often that's where our Lord sows the seeds of hope. The hope of those who don't, do not suffer perhaps is not even hope. God doesn't want to be loved as one would love a ruler who leads his people to victory, annihilating his enemies in a bloodbath. Our God is rather a faint light burning on a cold and windy day. And as fragile as his presence in this world may appear, he has chosen the place that we all disdain. And so they reach their place where they're going to and our Lord is about to go on. But they press him to stay because the night is now far gone. And so they say, say to our Lord, stay with us, Lord, for it is almost evening. These are like the key words of this whole story. Stay with us, Lord. John Paul II has written a, an apostolic exhortation on the Eucharist <clears throat> entitled with those very words, Mani Noviscum Domine, stay with us, Lord. Well worthwhile going and having a little look at it on the internet. And so this was the insistent invitation of the two disciples on the evening of the day of the resurrection addressed to this wayfarer who had accompanied them on their journey. There's something about him. They're attracted to him. There's something there in their hearts, but they can't quite put their finger on it. Our Lord has not yet opened their eyes to completely see who it is that is with them. And of course, weighed down with their sadness, they never imagined that this stranger was none other than their master, risen from the dead. If we are weighed down with sadness, discouragement, despair, well, there are things also that we don't see clearly. <clears throat> One great rule of life is never to make major decisions in low moments, because we don't have the full picture. And yet they felt their hearts burning within them as he spoke to them and as he explained the scriptures. And the light of the word that they heard unlocked the hardness of their hearts, hearts that had no faith, and it opened their eyes. These days after Easter are days for the opening of eyes, for the rediscovery of faith. Where Christ penetrating deeper into our souls. And so amid the shadows of the passing day and the darkness that clouded their spirit, this wayfarer brought away a ray of light. And that ray of light rekindles their hope. And it led their hearts to yearn for the fullness of light. Christ himself is the light. He's going to bring a new light into their lives. And then Jesus repeats for them the fundamental gesture of every Eucharist. 
He takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it. The entire history of our Lord seems somehow tied up in these gestures. In every Eucharist, there's some of the, the symbol of what the church should be. Christ takes us, blesses us, breaks our life, because there is no love without sacrifice. And he offers it to, to others. He offers it to everyone. The encounter with these two on the road to a mouse is a fleeting one. Our Lord doesn't stay with them forever. But somehow the entire destiny of the church is contained in this fleeting meaning. It tells us that the Christian community is not enclosed within a fortified citadel, but rather journeys along its most essential environment, which is the road, the ordinary road of our vocation, of our Christian vocation in the middle of the world, in the middle of temporal affairs. And on that road, it encounters people with their hopes and disappointments, which at times may be burdensome, the church manifested by Christ listens to everyone's story. As they, those stories emerge from the, the treasure chest of their personal, personal conscience. And he listens to them and the church listens to them in order to offer them the word of life, the witness of love, a love that is faithful to the end. And to the hearts of people reignite with hope. And so in the middle of our questions, our mysteries, our difficulties, and even our bitter disappointments, this divine wayfarer continues to walk by our side, opening to us the scriptures and leading us to a deeper understanding of the mysteries of God. Hence the importance of spending a little time in silent prayer every day, or of reading a few words of the gospel, or spending 15 minutes doing some spiritual reading, giving the Holy Spirit a better chance to be able to reveal to us the meaning of those scriptures. And when we meet him fully, we will pass from the light of the world, the light of the word, to the light streaming from the bread of life. The supreme fulfillment of his promise to be with us always to the end of the age. I will be with you always. Our Lord described himself as the light of the world. And that quality clearly appears in certain moments of his life, like the transfiguration and the resurrection, in which his divine glory shines forth brightly. And yet in the Eucharist, the glory of Christ remains veiled, hidden under the sacred species. Through the mystery of his complete 
hiddenness, Christ becomes a mystery of light. Thanks to which believers are led into the depths of the divine light. And so just as there is a light streaming from Bethlehem and there is a light streaming from the cross, there is a light streaming from the Blessed Eucharist. A light that can light up the whole of our lives. And in the account of the disciples on this road to a mouse, Christ intervenes to show the story of the scriptures, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, how all the scriptures point to the mystery of his person. The incarnation is the high, the redemption is the high point of the whole of human history. God, instead of just speaking to man, he becomes man. Revelation is personified in the person of Christ. And so his words make the words, make the hearts of the disciples burn within them. And drawing them out of the darkness of sorrow and despair. And awakening in them a desire to remain with him. And so they say, stay with us, Lord. These are very appropriate words these days. Or an aspiration to say to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. It's significant that these two disciples recognized him at table to the simple gesture of the breaking of bread. The scales fall from their eyes. Now they know who this wayfarer is. And there may be times in our life when our Lord reveals himself to us in a clearer way. And we say to ourselves, well, this message can only have come from God. Or this word or phrase that this person has said or this child has uttered contains some divine message. The Holy Spirit is here. When minds are enlightened and hearts are enkindled, signs begin to speak. I've just finished reading a book called Catholic Converts. Some of the major converts, particularly literary converts, high profile converts of the past two centuries. And in some of them, you can see there were definite moments when signs began to speak, the liturgy or certain words or certain truths became clearer. And so the root Eucharist unfolds in a dynamic context of signs containing a rich and luminous message. The liturgy of every day, it's full of lights and beauties, the words, they contain something special. Through these signs, the mystery in some way opens up before the eyes of the believer. A priest told me once how he was going to say Mass for some nuns in Ireland and he asked them if they would like him to say, he asked the nun in charge if she would like him to say a few words during the Mass. She replied, well, Father, sure the Mass has words enough of its own. In other words, no. But he said, I was very impressed with the way that she said it. The Mass has words enough of its own. Here was somebody who had learnt 
to savour the words of the liturgy, their richness, their beauty, their light. When the disciples on the way to a mouse asked our Lord to stay with them, he responded by giving them a much greater gift. Through the sacrament of the Eucharist, he found a way to stay in them. Try to take a little more care of your moments of thanksgiving after Mass. Let it be very intimate. We discover every day the great treasure it is to have God within us. Great privilege, the great grace. Receiving the Eucharist means entering into a profound union with Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. And so that relationship of profound and mutual abiding enables us to have a certain foretaste of heaven on earth. This is the greatest of human yearnings. This is what God had in mind when he brought about his plan of salvation in history. God has placed in human hearts a hunger for his word. A hunger can, that can only be satisfied by full union with him. And so our communions are given so that we might be satisfied with God here on earth in expectation of our complete fulfillment in heaven. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood shall have life in him and I will raise him up on the last day. And so with the Blessed Eucharist we get a promise of eternal life, something very great. And so we can ask our Lord to enkindle that hope in us. Eucharist is not just an expression of our unity in the life of the church. It's also a project of solidarity for all of humanity. In the Eucharist, the church constantly renews our awareness of being a sign and instrument not only of intimate union with God, but intimate union of the whole human race. God has brought us together in love. He wants us to be united, the whole human race there. And so when we take part in the Blessed Eucharist, we learn to become a promoter of peace and of solidarity and of joy in every situation. In the Eucharist, our Lord has shown us love in the extreme, overcoming all those criteria of power which too often govern human relations, and he radically affirms the criterion of service. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And so when he institutes the Eucharist, our Lord also washes feet. By bending down to wash the feet of the disciples, he explains the meaning of the Eucharist. 
And our Lord invites us to delight in his presence. There must be a special joy in our soul, in our heart, when we receive him each day. As we become aware or remind ourselves, because we need reminding, of the incomparable treasure which Christ has entrusted to his church. And so with the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we also feel that same need to say, stay with us, Lord. Stay with me now and always. And if I have any difficult moments, any dark moments in which I walk with a little bit of sadness, pensive, without horizons, help me to remember that you're always there beside me to give me hope, to warm our heart, say, go ahead, I'm with you, carry on. The secret of the road that leads to a mouse is simply that despite appearances to the contrary, we continue to be loved and God will never stop loving us. God will walk with us always, even in the most painful moments, even in the worst moments, the moments of our greatest defeats. Somebody sent me a nice photo of St. John Chrysostom recently saying that we can be at peace because forgiveness has arisen. Great message of Easter, forgiveness has arisen. Christ has come to forgive, to help us to begin again, just like those disciples on the road to a mouse. And so this is our hope, a call to go forward in hope, because he's beside us and walks with us always. And Our Lady, who is our hope, the mother of hope, she kept the hope of the apostles and the disciples going through the period of Holy Saturday. And now she's bringing them back together again, little by little. She's going to keep them together until the coming of the Holy Spirit. So woman of hope, may you help us to say frequently to our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, stay with us, Lord. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Amen.